Hi, my name's Carly Anna, and you're listening to CE Over It. Do you guys want to hear about the absolute crap that I am having to deal with this week? Actually, I'm not having to deal with it, but my husband is, which basically means I'm having to deal with it too. It sucks. Uh, so for those of you guys who know, we like to go up to Idaho all the time and we like to fish all the time. We love the outdoors. Idaho is really where we want to end up at some point in our lives. And we were up there last weekend going fishing and the day before we go fishing Friday night, we are talking about his season fishing license, which when do we ever actually talk about that? Like never. I, I don't think we've ever actually had a full conversation about his fishing license. And for some reason we were talking about it and it got brought up where I was like, hey, I think that your fishing season license is actually coming to an end and we're probably going to have to check on that in the next few days. <sighs> Little did we know. Fast forward to the next day, he is fishing and he gets a ticket for his season. I keep wanting to say his season pass. <laughs> it's not a season pass. Like it's to like Disneyland or something, but his, his fishing license had definitely been expired. Uh, and not just by a few days. Apparently Idaho does their licenses where like in Utah, when you get a fishing license and you purchase it like June 1st. Your entire year fishing license goes from June 1st, 2020 to June 1st, 2021. But in Idaho, for some weird reason, they don't do that and they just do it until, okay, you have until, like you purchase a year license, but it's from like, no matter when you purchase it throughout the year, you could purchase it in June or you could purchase it in January or you could even purchase it in December. Your 2020 license is only valid for 2020. It's not like an actual year long. So, which is so dumb because... You pay $200 and it's like whether you use it in June or whether you use it in January or whatever, it's the same. So stupid. Anyways, so they give him a ticket. We're like, okay, whatever. I guess we'll just pay it. It's fine. It sucks, but we can live, right? <sighs> Yesterday, we're trying to pay the ticket because we go to Mexico next week. And so we're trying to get everything figured out before we go to Mexico because, you know, sometimes tickets have like a 14-day or even like a 7-day expiration date when you're supposed to pay those so we're trying to figure it out and guess what he has to freaking do to get this ticket off of his back he doesn't just have to pay a fine but he has to show up in person for a court date for a fishing license ticket what are we being serious it's an actual misdemeanor in idaho i had no idea. So do you want to know what he's doing tomorrow? He is driving three and a half hours up to Idaho, taking a sick day off of work to, and he actually tomorrow's not even his court date because his actual court date is while we're in Mexico and he can't get it moved. The only way he can actually get it moved is if he drives up there, shows up in person to reschedule his court date. So he's not even going for his court date. He's just going up to be there in person to reschedule his court date. They won't reschedule his court date if he's not there in person. 
what? I had no idea this is what legal stuff and fines and tickets and court stuff were like. Uh, I know probably a lot of you are like, Carly, that's just the legal system and that's how it is in every state and that's what it is. But this just all seems really absurd to me and I can't believe this is actually normal. And so I know this is a design podcast, but uh, that's kind of what's been going on in my life and I wanted to talk with you guys about it because I quite frankly think that is pretty absurd. Anyways, so there is the update on my life that you never asked for, but you got anyways. Now let's talk about what we're going to be talking about today. So I think once, I don't know if we're going to be doing this once a month, once a month or every other month. I don't know. We'll see how you guys like this episode. Uh, But every once in a while, I do want to do like an advice column type of episode where you guys get to submit any questions that you want. And we just talk about the solutions and answers to those questions and problems that you guys are having. Uh, So that's what this uh, episode is going to be, an advice column. I actually got this idea from a podcast that I truly love, what we said. Uh, So I'm not going to take credit for the advice column idea. Uh, But yeah, I'm I'm excited to do it. I think it'll be really helpful and good and fun. Uh, I know I've like said a million times that I don't want this to be a how-to podcast, uh, but I do think that these little answering questions here and there, uh, helpful, right? Helpful. And I want to be helpful, if not anything. So yeah, here we go. That's what we're going to do today. But before we even get into the questions that you guys submitted, which were so good, by the way, I love when you guys submit just honest, real, real stuff. Uh, Let's talk about the snacks and tracks segment. What I am currently bitching to while I am designing. Um, And honestly, there's not really any new food or drinks that I have been obsessing over lately, probably because I've recorded like five podcast episodes this this week and I've already talked about all the (laughs) things I'm obsessing over food-wise or drink-wise in order to get this podcast launched. Uh, So there's nothing really to update you there, but uh, I am listening to the audiobook The Way of Kings. I'm actually listening to the whole series. And I talked about, I think on the very first episode, I talked about how I have been really, really obsessed with the Mistborn audiobook series. And I was so obsessed with it that I was talking to my cousin who recommended that book to me. And I was just like, oh, I love it. Love it, love it, love it. And he was like, okay, you really need to read The Way of Kings book. It's by the same author. And I just finished the first book like a few days ago which the books are all like 40 hours long. So it took me a really long time to finish the book, but it is really, really good. Uh, Brandon Sanderson, the author, just does a really good job at plot twists and creating this entire world that feels so unique where I'm like, oh my gosh, like I feel like this actually exists and the things that are in here are genius. I kind of said how uh, the Mistborn book by Brandon Sanderson how that feels a little bit like Avatar mixed with Harry Potter mixed with Lord of the Rings. And this book has very similar vibes, like very, very similar vibes to that. Just a whole different world. Uh, Maybe more, this one probably has more Lord of the Rings type vibes because it does have a lot of war and like king type of like stories to it, which... I don't mind. I I like it. It does feel like I'm like a little bit of a man's book, 
manly book like there's so much about war and I'm like really just dying for a love interest at this point but it is really good interesting captivating the characters are really good like my favorite part is the world and all the little details of how things are getting connected in the plot <sighs> so yeah I'm a fan of it so far very 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 good um but yeah that's kind of what I've been snacking and tracking on this week Okay, and now let's get into the stories. I mean, not the stories, the pieces of advice that I have for you. Now, I do want to preface this by saying, as I am giving you advice and answering questions, if there is anything that I ever say that just rubs you wrong or makes you feel like, mm, I don't know if that's right for me or that doesn't sound like it aligns with me, don't take the piece of advice or find a way to make that piece of advice work in a way that works for you. Just because I say it and it's worked for me and for people that I've helped does not make it law and it does not make it work for every single person. And your gut is more important than me telling you something to do. So please take all of this with a grain of salt and listen to yourself while we're doing this. So there we go. There's my little warning. Now let's get into the questions that you guys had. First one, someone said client red flags and knowing when to walk away. Now, I first wanted to say that Matthew Miller and Wildflower Designs, they have two really good Instagram posts that I want to refer you to that I would highly recommend you read. I think they're actually called a few things of not to say to a, a graphic designer. And you can kind of take that and say, oh, well, if a client says that, that might be a red flag. Uh, and I'll link those in the show notes of the episode because uh, they were really, really good. I actually helped Matthew write one of the slides like I just submitted. Here's my big red flag. Uh, so those things are going to be really, really helpful for you. But there could be so many different red flags. And I think it's also going to vary from person to person where something might bug me, but it might not bug you. Uh there's, of course, a few general rules, and that's why that Instagram post that I'm referring you to will be really, really helpful. But as a good rule of thumb, anytime that you feel belittled or you are feeling like, mm, I'm getting bad vibes, even if it doesn't make sense about why you're getting bad vibes and you can't even trace it back to a specific reason why, just, just say no. Just don't do it. And, and if you're feeling like on the sales call, like you're not excited to do the project, like you're like, oh, this is going to be hard, or I don't know if I want to work with this person, just don't do it. You should have a client that loves and respects you and your work, and you should never have to feel really weird about it. So you don't even need to have a solid reason to say no and to walk away. If you feel off about it, just walk away, just do it. So that's my piece of advice. Okay, next question. Someone said, how to smoothly transition to talking price uh, of a project with a new client on a sales call? I'm getting better at sales calls, but I feel awkward introducing money into the chat. Oh, this is a really good question. I know that you are not alone at all in this. This is something we talk about a lot in 10KGG. In fact, whenever we're practicing sales calls in 10KGG, this is like the topic we always talk about where it's like, hey, how do we talk about money? How do we introduce chat? And even though we talk about that in the lesson of sales calls in 10KGG, it's still really hard to actually do it. This is why I love practicing sales calls and why I say that sales calls are more of an art form than a formula. You can't just follow a script and say, yep, this is going to be good and I'm done for it because... 
sales calls are really just a helpful conversation that you're having with a potential client. This isn't you pitching anything. And this is, I guess, would be my first tip is, is don't feel like you have to pitch anything or you have to name the perfect price or you have to have the right answers to everything. What we need to do instead is we need to just change our mindset around the sales call. This is just a conversation that we're having with someone who has a problem. And whether or not the solution to their problem is them hiring us to help them, totally irrelevant. Wow, why can't I say that word? Irrelevant. Totally irrelevant. We just want to help these people. And talking about money and price and figuring out, okay, this is your budget. How much of your problem can we solve with the budget that you have in mind? That's just part of solving the problem and helping them. It's not feeling like, oh my gosh, I have to sell them and name the price and have this really awkward conversation where I try and force them to buy something that they don't want to buy. That's that's not what a sales call is at all. It's just, okay, what's your problem? What's a good fit for you? Awesome, great. Am I a good fit for you? I don't know. Let's see. So take that pressure off of yourself to even talk about money in the perfect right way. You're just trying to help them. Okay, but on a little bit more of a tangible note, here's how I like to transition into money on a sales call. So before we even start talking about money, I do think it's important on a sales call to address what is the bigger problem that they want to be solved? What is the real reason why they are here and why they are talking with you? Is it because they have um, uh, tangible problems, like they want more money? Or is it because they want more sales or more customers or whatever it is? Or do they want something that's a little bit more intangible and a little bit more emotional? like more confidence, more connection, more time, maybe. There's lots of different drivers into value and then connecting that to your service. And so we first need to figure out, okay, what is the real reason why we're here? Because you even got to first figure out, okay, what are we even pricing and what are we even trying to solve here? Because if they want $100 million, heck yeah, I'm going to price that to differently and give different solutions to someone who wants a hundred million dollars to someone who really wants confidence and connection. And it's not like, you know, a hundred thousand dollars is more expensive. I actually think that a lot of the emotional and intangible drivers of price and of sales and stuff are a lot more valuable and important to people than the hundred thousand dollars or whatever it is that feels more tangible, right? Like confidence, connection. Okay. All that stuff. So first we we identify that. We say, okay, cool. This is what we're working towards. We're working towards getting more confidence and connection. Then the second question that I really like to ask is what they feel like this is worth to them. You know, if I could help you get, um, well, first, you know, we figure out, okay, what is a good indicator of them having more confidence and connection? Like, oh, if I could just uh, post more on, this is a really bad example, but post more on Instagram every single day. That's when I would know I have more confidence and connection. Or if I didn't feel like I was having to die for every single sale and it just was happening easily, that would be a good example, right? So he said, okay, cool. Yeah. How much is that worth to you? And I asked, I asked them that question. I want to know what they feel like it's worth before I'm going to name a price and more before we even talk about budget really unrealistically, what is it just even worse to them in their mind? And maybe it's like $100 million, right? Maybe it's $50,000, but this is going to really help you figure out what this is, how they're valuing themselves, their business, how seriously they're taking this conversation, uh, and the potential that they see in you and your work. 
And then that's when I start transitioning into, okay, what is your budget? Um, how much can you afford of that? Like, of course, I would pay $100 million for more confidence and connection. Do I have a $100 million budget? No. I have maybe like a $10,000 budget and that's more realistically. And then that's when you start talking into, okay, here's what I feel like I could do, you know, anywhere from seven to 12,000. Here's what we could do for that. And you're just having a really good conversation with them. It's not you pitching. It's just saying, okay, what works? What are we here for? How can I help you? Why are you even here? That type of thing. And so when you uh, approach it more as a conversation and you attach the price to hey, here's the real problem that we're really trying to solve here. That's when real magic happens. And that's when it also feels a lot easier to talk about money. It doesn't feel as schemy and salesy. So yeah, that, that, that's how I like to do it. Okay, someone asked the question, following up on potential clients who said not now and they want to do it later. Now for following up, I don't feel like there's a real hard and fast rule to this. You can even just do like a really simple email whenever you feel like, hey, now's a good time to maybe talk with them. I haven't heard from them in a long time or I have a spot open. If you have a spot open or if you've done a new service, just send them an email and let them know. Like, I, I think like, of course, emailing them every single week might be a little obnoxious, but like if you have like a good reason to reach out to them, even if it has been like another week or so, I don't know, let them know. Um, I think three-ish to six-ish months is a good standard between the next time you should contact them and just follow up. I know I personally always really appreciate a follow-up because sometimes I'm just like, oh yeah, I gotta do that, I gotta do that. But I don't have time to email them or it just sometimes feels like way too much work to try and get it all figured out, but, you know, hiring someone. So I just keep putting it off and putting it off. So if someone were to come to me and say, hey, look, I'm showing an initiative and I'm figuring this out and I wanna work with you, I'm like, great, yes, yes, I've been meaning to do this. Let's go. So don't feel bad about following up. It's sometimes and oftentimes really, really helpful for those people, especially me. So that would be my piece of advice for that one. Okay. Someone asked pros and cons of positioning as a freelancer versus a studio. Now, I thought about this question a lot and for a good amount of time. And honestly, I am not too sure about the pros and cons of positioning as a freelancer because I think, or versus a, a freelancer versus a studio, because I really think it depends on who you are and your personality where I'm like, yeah, for this person, this studio is going to be, you know, positioning as a studio is going to be really awesome. But for this person, positioning as a freelancer is going to be really awesome. If you are feeling a lot of pressure to go one way or the other, there's probably a reason why? And so I think you need to figure out why are you personally feeling pressure to either do the freelancer positioning or to do a studio positioning? There's probably more behind it. Like maybe there's imposter syndrome with maybe you want to be a studio, but you have a little imposter syndrome. And so you don't want to actually be a studio or maybe do you want to be a freelancer because you want to be like not the star of the show, but kind of the star of the show. Like you want to be the face of your business and you want your personality to go into it. That's how I am. I I want my uh, name and stuff on there because I, I like my positioning to be a little bit more personality-based. But some, especially introverts, that like scares them to death. So it, I think it really just nails down to what you want. And there is no right or wrong way to do this. 
you can even pick and choose where you're like, oh, I would love to be a free, these are the things that I feel like would be really cool about being a freelancer. And these are the things that I would really love about positioning myself as a studio and make something up on your own and do whatever the heck you want to do. You really can position yourself however, and be the type of business however you want it to be. You don't have to fall into the freelancer box or the studio box, just do what feels best for you. Okay, someone said imposter syndrome. I work in social media and all the self-claimed gurus make me, uh, and then she did like the stressed out emoji, which, yep, I feel you. And oh boy, do I have a lot to say on this subject because while I am a coach and I love to give advice, I know I'm technically not really qualified besides me qualifying, qualifying myself, the students' results that I've gotten, results I've gotten for myself, and I know a lot of people have been burned by these self-proclaimed gurus and the pressure that people have because of them. I, because of them, because of me, I, I totally get it. And it's hard to navigate the education industry as someone who wants to learn from the education industry because there are a lot of good people out there who have really great things to say and to offer. Oh, but there's always a flip side to the coin. But I did want to say that one of the best things that I have ever done for my imposter syndrome, because trust me, I have felt major <laughs> imposter syndrome. I don't know if there is, nah, this is me being really selfish. And I know there's probably more people out there who have felt way more imposter syndrome than I have. But yeah, I started my business when I was 19. I dropped out of college. I was the same age as a lot of my clients, kids. I just, I felt like in a million different ways, I just did not fit in as a graphic designer. And I felt major, major imposter syndrome about it for years. I talked about it in my very first episode, how I just really damaged myself and my business because I tried to conform to something that I wasn't. So I feel you girl, but I feel like that all really started changing when I started to just say, you know what? I literally don't care what people think. And like with this podcast, I have absolutely no idea how it's going to turn out. I've never done a podcast before. The first few times you ever do anything is horrible and it's not horrible, but it's never as good as it could be. Yet here we are trying something that feels really new and scary. I have no idea how it's going to turn out, how people are going to react. I have no clue and so much imposter syndrome around this podcast, but you know what? It's like we're venturing into new waters and instead of trying to get it perfect the first time and feeling so much comparison to other people and their podcasts like I would have years ago. Now I just get to see this as an opportunity for me to get to know myself better and use this as lots of learning and growth. But I feel like once I started to actually lean into my weaknesses and just say, forget it, I'm gonna do whatever the hell I want, uh, and started to see those weaknesses more as a strength so many things, so many things in my life and in my business just really 180'd um, because now anytime I see a challenge or a weakness or I feel that imposter syndrome, I don't see it as a weakness. We just say, okay, how do we flip this around and make this really hard or weird thing that might be standing in our way? How do we actually make a strength? And that's really, really helped. And, and Emma Natter is actually the one who really helped me see my weaknesses as strength and to help me put into vision what it was that I truly wanted and to help me see, okay, here's how I'm navigating this business world on my own and to stop comparing 
to what other people are doing and so that's why I'm really excited to bring her on to the podcast I we have so much more to say about this because this is a loaded subject and it's something I've really been struggling with for years so I don't have much to say on this now, but I did want to say that and I did want to say, hi, we are going to be doing an entire podcast episode on this soon. Okay, someone said social media engagement for introverts. This is a really good question because I know a lot of designers are introverts and yeah, they really, really struggle with that and feel like, okay, in order for me to be on social media, I have to be an extrovert. And I will say I am an extrovert. So honestly, I'm not even really qualified to be giving you advice on this, but I do teach a lot of introverts. And I know this is a frequent problem that we talk about a lot is introvertedness and social media and all the pressure. And this is just what people have told me in the program and what has helped them is, so take it with a grain of salt, of course, but Something that I have found to be really, really helpful is there is a marketing personality test. And if you just Google it, maybe I'll link it in the show notes too. Um, she has really, really, really great solutions for introverts and how to make marketing plans specifically for introverts. That's a huge thing that I'm a fan of is not just following a marketing plan that is supposedly for everyone. Pick one that fits your personality type and how you best communicate with other people. And for introverts, a lot of the times they do communicate best through writing and through blogs. And you can still show your face on social media through images or through your words, really, without having to be constantly like in your face and extroverted. So I would lean into writing. I would take that little test and and really lean into the introvertedness of you. If you feel like that's something you're really having to struggle against uh, is being an introvert, just lean into it more. Let's figure out how we can do it in a way that works for you. I was actually just talking to one of the 10K GG girls today about how Instagram gives them so much anxiety. And so I said, okay, well, let's write down everything that gives you anxiety about Instagram. Like anytime I'm trying to do something that I really don't want to do, whether it's maybe like working for a client or doing some kind of task, I try and write out, you know, what are the things about this that I really hate doing? And I get specific about the things that are giving me anxiety because it's probably not just like social media as a whole or introvertedness, whatever it is as a whole, there's gotta be specific pieces to it where I'm like, okay, I could be on Instagram if I were to plan out this or if I weren't needing to show my face and be bouncing off the walls all the time and I could show up in this way. You know what I mean? Like set conditions for yourself uh, and give yourself permission to just not do those things. Sometimes we just have to acknowledge them and say, wow, okay, yeah, if I can do this or if I can purchase a template or I could hire this out, yeah, I, I could do this. That's manageable and I, I think I would have fun with that. Or you can look at those things and say, wow, there's a lot of things specifically about this program, or I mean about this social media site that I'm not really loving. Maybe I need to go to a whole different social media site like TikTok or Pinterest or blogging. That's more fitting to my personality. You might be on the totally wrong social media platform, something that's like not complimentary to your personality at all. Use it as a strength instead of a weakness. Okay, someone said accepting, how do we accept payments? Now, I talked about this on last week's episode. Uh, yeah, there's just the episode right before this, but just in case you miss out, I'm gonna be sharing how I accept my payments 
So hopefully it's helpful for you guys. So I like to accept my payments in equal monthly payments. So if there's like a four month project, uh, I'm gonna, set, instead of doing like 50% up the front, 50% at the end, what I like to do is I like to separate it by, let's say it's a uh, 6,000, no, $8,000 project. I would do four monthly payments of $2,000. And I really like doing that because one, it's a little bit more uh, driving for me instead of having a big chunk of money at the beginning and a big chunk of money at the end. It helps me pay my team. It drives my motivation up to have those monthly payments and money coming in. Uh, so I really like that. It's also easier for the clients to not have to fork out a huge sum of money at the beginning and at the end. Um, and if something goes wrong in the middle, like maybe they decided they want to go somewhere else, at least you have the amount of money already that you have equal to the amount of work that you've put into it instead of it being like 50% at the front and 50% at the end. So then you're not having to give like refunds or having to like ask for more money when they say they don't want to give it. It's just, it's following the natural pattern of how you are working. So that's what I really love about it. Plus if you're doing it like on a subscription basis, which I believe HoneyBook, I think Dubsado, like Samcart, uh, I think even Stripe does it too, where if you can set up on set it up on a monthly subscription where it automatically just takes the payments for you. You don't have to send an invoice. You don't have to chase down payments. It's just like if you were signing up for like a Spotify subscription or something like that, like it just automatically takes that money out of their account and there's it's easier for them it's easier for you it is good all around okay someone said how do you explain value of a good website to someone who is already very successful in their business it's a really good question and I have one really solid rule in my sales calls and in selling that I follow explicitly that I feel like has really helped me feel more ethical and better in my sales calls. And it's taken a lot of pressure off of me. And that is to never oversell my sales calls. I am never, ever going to convince someone to work with me. If they're on a sales call and they're just having objection over objection, and they're like not seeing the value in what I'm doing, I'm like, great. You should definitely go hire someone. Go hire someone with less, less experience or go hire the cheaper person. Like, I'm sure there's a reason you reached out to me though, right? And uh, if you want that, you can work with me and you can work with my rates and get the website or do this, whatever it is. Um, But I'm never gonna try and convince someone. You know, it's like getting married. Like, you don't want your love story to start off with you having to beg them on your knees. Like, that is just a horrible start to the rest of the project. And I promise you, if you're having to convince and just scrape for them to even be your client, you are gonna have to convince them throughout every decision in the process. And it's not gonna be fun for you. And it's not gonna be fun for them. So I would just highly recommend just skipping that whole process and not trying to convince someone that doesn't want to be there because who wants a party pooper? But back to, you know, how, how do you explain value of a good website? I don't feel like this is something that I would ever do in a sales calls. Again, I'm not gonna try and convince someone that doesn't wanna work with me to work with me. Um, but I like to answer objections in my marketing and in my social media and stuff. But I would challenge you to ask yourself why you feel like the value of a good website is important to them. 
and do your own research on this because I can tell you the Google answer where it's like, oh yeah, you're gonna, here's the stats that show that you get so much more money or you could get more connection or you could get more confidence. There's a million reasons, right? Why a good website might be helpful to someone who's already successful. That could, you know, just opening so many more doors to them. But I think what's really gonna be helpful for you is finding why you specifically find it to be important. And you can include stories, you can do your own research on this, but this is where I feel like a lot of people's marketing is lacking, and especially in the objection answering thing. I, I wanna hear your personal opinion about why you feel like a good website is important. Doesn't have to, I think people are scared to like put their personal opinions out about things like this. Because like, what if I'm wrong or someone's going to disagree with me? And you know what? Anytime you post a little bit of a hot take about why you personally believe something, it sets you apart from every other graphic designer out there. And people are going to be really, really attracted to you for that. The right people are going to be really, really attracted to you for that. So I would recommend doing a little bit of research and having fun with it. Figuring out, okay, okay what does this mean to me? And how can I make this my own and and use this as a marketing tool to propel myself and to attract the right people. So I hope that's helpful. Probably not the answer that you really wanted to hear, but I think it'll help you more in the, in the long run. <laughs> okay, someone said, how do you not feel so defeated from all the other designers' successes and wins? Uh, oh my gosh. So I'm not somebody who feels like... Uh, pressure from other people, I guess, if that makes sense. Like I've always just absolutely never cared what other people have thought of me. And I've, that is a huge blessing. I know that I am incredibly grateful and I feel very privileged to feel that way. But I will say, even though I am naturally that type of person where I just literally could not give a crap if you hate me or love me, I still compare myself to other designers who are having really great successes and then comparing myself like, why am I not doing the same? Why am I not there? What are they doing differently than I? And then it makes you feel resentful towards yourself and towards them. It's just a whole horrible trap. Um, so there's a few solutions that I would suggest you do. One is I would mute anybody on social media who triggers you, including myself. If you guys ever need to mute me on social media, please mute me for your mental health. I totally get it. I mute honestly like 90% of the people I follow on social media just because it's it's hard to deal with that and it's they're amazing people, but it's so hard sometimes to to not get shiny object syndrome and be like, "Oh my gosh, but they have this and they have this." Da, da, da. I just I have to keep my eyes on what success really means to me and what I want in my life. And this sounds like really cheesy and obvious maybe a little bit dumb, but getting incredibly clear about what success means to you. And I'm not just being like, oh yeah, like I want money and I want this. It's like, no, in an ideal world, what, what sounds too good to be true for you to have? And what are you working towards? And, and it's not just like money. It's like, what does the money mean to you? What does hiring mean to you? Why do you want X, Y, and Z. You know, for me, it's like I, I want to live in a place where I feel peace all the time. And that means living in the country with my own little pond in a house that feels spacious and there's just a room and a place for everything. 
And it's even just more than the house. It's like, I really want the feeling that I have every time I'm visiting Idaho, which is just peaceful. Like I'm able to block the outside world out and just focus on my family. And that's what moving to a country and getting that house that we really want means to me. And I also feel like I have a way that I can help people in a way that only I can help people. And so people might be doing really similar things as me, but but I have felt really confident in the ways that I'm doing things. I hope this is making sense, but just saying like, okay, you are doing your own thing and you can be successful at that, but I know I'm serving in a way that only I can serve. And I know I feel so passionate about how I'm helping people and I know what I'm doing is actually helpful for people because it's something that I felt like was missing in the industry or that I felt like really, really needed to be there. And so whether or not it is quote unquote successful, it feels successful to me because I'm helping in the way that I know I need to. So getting really clear about how you want to help, what success, you know, if it is successful, what does that mean to you? And what does that look like to you? It's going to be different for every single person. But once you define what you want and how you want to serve in an incredibly specific way and you set your sights on that and you just know with all of your heart that that's what you need to do and that is what you want, that's when you get to go on Instagram and you see other people have success and you don't compare it to them because you get to appreciate, yes, they have their own path to success and things that they can serve in the way that they know how, and I'm doing the best that I know how. And we're figuring it out along the way, but I feel so confident in me and what we're doing that, yep, this is right for me. And another reason why I'm excited to have Emma come on here, uh, she's gonna be talking all about this more. I keep referring to this near distant episode. Uh, but she's really, again, one of the people that really, really helped me figure all this stuff out because I know a lot of people really, really struggle with this. That is, pr that, that is pretty much everything for this episode, the advice column episode. I hope you guys learned a lot. I am an actual genius and I know everything, so you should 100% listen to me. <laughs> no, but really, uh, I hope this was helpful and at least just hearing people talk about things that you're struggling with, even if it's not the right thing for you to do, maybe is just, is just helpful. But if this is a helpful podcast for you and you loved this episode, please rate, review, subscribe, share it with your friends. It really helps. Uh, plus it just makes me feel better, you know? So go ahead and leave that review and I will see you guys next week. Thanks so much.